and welcome to another installment of the Evolution Exchange Gaming Podcast, where we connect industry leaders to discuss experiences, challenges, and successes in the gaming industry. I'm Adam, and I'm your host. Today, I'm joined with Pablo Ross, Mariana Graham, Oliver Engels, and Lenny Olinson to discuss developing creativity in a hybrid remote work environment. Before we jump into the topic, let's work our way around the room with some introductions of who you are and what you do. Mariana, do you want to join us, kick us off? Sure. Um, My name is Mariana Graham. I am the creative general director of Rosalberries. We are a company that makes uh, small mini games and experiences within Minecraft. Uh, And we've worked with uh, companies like, uh, well, obviously directly with Mojang, We've worked with uh, NVIDIA uh, on some really cool projects for their RTX stuff. Um, We've worked with Netflix on some small map for movies that are upcoming. Um, And just here and there, other like um, educational content uh, within the Minecraft sphere. Nice. Uh, Oliver? Hello, my name is Oliver Engels. I'm a lead full stack engineer at LFG Studio Red. We are a, a new game studio. We, we, I think they have existed for like uh, eight or nine months and they're working on their first uh, AAA title. So very exciting. Um, my main uh, role is on the, the web development side. So I make uh, tools, uh, websites and uh, guide the web team uh, towards building yeah, whatever needs to be built, either for the game, uh, for the company or any other uh, elements that need to be Nice. And uh, Lenny? Yeah. Hello, my name is Lenny Olinson. I'm the art director at Paradox for the project CK3, so Crusader Kings 3. We're currently in live production, so currently I'm leading the art direction for the uh, DLCs that we are coming out with and have been coming out with for the previous years. Um, yeah, most of my role involves basically creating the art direction, creating the style guide, ensuring that people are working towards the same goal, uh, ensuring proper communication, and also just making sure that everyone is doing their job well and happy while doing it. Awesome. And finally, but not least, Pablo. Hello. Uh, my name is Pablo Ross. Uh, I am currently basically a world designer uh, at Massive, working on uh, Avatar from Jesus Wonder. Uh, it's an open world uh, action game. And, um, and yeah, it's uh, it's not released yet, so I can't share much details really. Um, but uh, yeah, exciting uh, people, a uh, uh, open world game. Awesome. So as always, we'll work around uh, the table with each of you who have brought a question to discuss developing creativity in a hybrid remote environment. Um, Mariana, do you want to kick us off with your first question? Um, Okay, so my question was, how do you know the team is working when you cannot keep an eye on them all the time due to the fact that they're hybrid remote? So does anyone want to go first on that one? I had a question regarding the, um, what do you expect? What do you mean by uh, keep an eye on? Because sometimes it feels like a bit of a spying on. Like what? what exactly. Do you, what do you? Yeah, I know the answer for myself. <laughs> if you okay. guys want, I can start with my answer, like what I think, and then you'll kind of understand my state of mind when asking this question. So I think that the most important thing here is trust, being transparent about the expectations from the beginning, making sure you're very clear on the scope and the deliverables. Work based on clearly outlined goals and due dates. Um, I don't really care what they're doing as long as they deliver their milestones on time. We do once a week meetings with as many team members as possible to get a clear picture of where everyone is at. And I'm constantly making sure to ask if they need anything or if anything is like stopping them or holding them back from finishing on time. I believe communication is key and that surveillance is the worst thing you can do because privacy is of the utmost importance for people to be comfortable. Uh, I I couldn't uh, agree with you more, Anna. So I, I think it's 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 exactly the same. You you need to trust your people. 
that they you have a, a certain expectations, you have a certain input, and you expect a certain output. And whatever they do in between, I don't I don't really mind either, as long as the output is there. And I'm a strong believer of uh, some people working in different environments and in different ways. And 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 you have people that work good at night, and you have people that work good in the morning, and you have people that work good in the evenings. It doesn't matter as long as uh, at the end of the sprint, at the end of the milestone, the things are done that you have set uh, for them. And if there is any mishap in that time frame, you have to have that communication and you can pick that up quite quite quickly, right? In the in the daily hustle, stand-ups or however you want to call it. You can, can pick it up if something goes incorrectly, if something goes wrong, and you can then move into a solution uh, track instead of uh, blaming people or looking at people's screens const constantly and uh, <laughs> seeing what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, blaming people is not really something you should uh, ever get into. I think if you see that people are underperforming for some periods, then of course the first thing that you will want to do is reach out to them and hear what is causing it so that if they need help, if they're having a burnout, if they have issues at home or if there's anything else so that you can try to assist them getting back to the to where they were before. Um, so I think that that's always something that needs to be done <laughs> as early as possible as well. But yeah, in general, yes, yeah, monitoring is absolutely awful and completely unnecessary as well, I feel like, especially since we actually do have deadlines so we can see whether people are performing according to what the expectations are. There can then be, of course, that our expectations are off, but that should then be communicated with the team, right? It's like, okay, we have a tendency of estimating half the time that they need to do it. That means that we did something wrong somewhere or estimates is based on a different reality. So we should check that. Okay, and uh, Pablo, uh... Yeah, you got I no, I completely agree. I think, um, especially, uh, I would say that's probably the best thing that came out of the COVID is the uh, the fact that people were uh, had the opportunity to work uh, with a more flexible working hours, uh, and that comes to the, the remote. So I think that's that's also a great thing because uh, commuting is not always the the, the best and the most reliable uh, like anywhere I think in the world uh, so I think it's always uh, sometimes great to to have the opportunity to to uh, to, to to be able to to work with a trust um, with a trusted environment really which can be your your your, your home really um, and yes and monitoring is is also tricky because sometimes we're working um, on uh, very protected IPs um, and sometimes Sometimes we need to still have a lot of security, uh, uh, so it's always tricky, like to balance that as well, like from also just a pure IT uh, point of view. How much security do you need, and how, how much that security also kind of step in the department of privacy? Um, that could be tricky, and we don't have necessarily the, um, I would say the, uh, the, um, the, 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 the big picture uh, on what that what it actually is nice so i think uh i know a few of you have mentioned uh deadlines in in those answers uh, i guess my question would be how would you compare uh, individual deadlines before the pandemic uh compared to after since everyone's self remote i i've seen in uh, i've seen people uh, actually uh, delivering that stuff quicker better in order but it really depends on on what kind of person you are right so i have seen people that are not really comfortable at home they work better in the office and they have people that are better at home and they deliver it quicker and i just so happen to have a team that worked better at home <laughs> so yeah i think that's really uh, an, an individual individual process yeah uh mariana what are your thoughts on that 
Well, in our case, nothing's changed because we've been remote the whole for six years now that the company's been running. So to me, it's nothing new. Um, I know that for a lot of people, it, it's been a really cool change and a giant opportunity. And for other people, it's been really sad because they like the, you know, the coffee machine banter and all of that stuff. But for us, it's never really been like that. Uh, my team is very young also. I think I <laughs> might be the oldest um, on the whole team um, with some experience in the gaming industry already before Minecraft. Um, other, most of my team, not so much uh, because of the nature of Minecraft. You have very young, up and coming, incredible artists and people who were like, they're still in school. Like they're going to college or like they just finished high school or like sometimes, like very few times, a couple of times we've had uh, kids where I'm in contact with their parents and their parents are like, that's, that's how young the, the producers of Minecraft content are. So um, I don't really like working with, with the younger ones because I, I'm always on to my team. School is first. <laughs> I don't care. So that's super important, which I don't think is a problem a lot of other game companies have. Um, but so to us, nothing really has changed because these the up and coming game developers are, they've been remote the whole time. So to us, it's just like another day in the office. Yeah. So that's my take on it. <laughs> Uh, Lenny, Pablo, have you got anything to add to that at all? I would say since uh, Paradox, it, it used to be like full-time on site and then went to, to hybrid during this period. So I would say for most people, like was um, Oliver mentioned earlier as well, is that some people did really well doing it and some people had a harder time with it. But also even the people that do well uh, tend to have a bit of a, a swing, uh, you can say, because it depends like when you are at home, especially if you have children, things can distract right? and that's to be expected. So I think there's a, there's a bigger swing between being highly productive and having lower productivity when you're working from home more often than not. Um, but I think overall, there is a big benefit for the people who enjoy it, uh, mental health benefit that causes less burnout over time as well. So I think overall, it's a sort of an equal trade. Nice. I think, yeah, the general takeaway from that, um, Unless you got something to add there, Pablo. Um, most was said. Uh, really, I think the, uh, to go back to to the question in terms of deadline, um, I think it's always also interesting to consider which kind of deadlines, because I think uh, some that are very, I would say, like more important, like it's in the alpha or something like that. Sometimes it is beneficial to to have very quick feedback loop, um, and sometimes it is uh, easier, especially when we have a lot of. Uh, a lot of people really um, to be on site, but at the same time, um, do we have to be on site at all time? I don't think so, because at the end of the day, once we have kind of, uh, once the meetings are over, and most of the time now, the meetings are, regardless on site or not, on Teams. Um, so I think we, we we have a, my point is that we had a hard time trying to adapt to also the fact that many people are are uh, hybrid uh, and some people are like working from home. We still have the tendency to use Team regardless, even if everybody's in the office. Uh, but it, I would say it depends on the uh, on the blockers as well. Sometimes it is a lot easier to have everybody in the studio when we have very uh, like very typical constraints where we, we need the immediate answer. Um, but I'm always like the, the big chunk of the work. I think it's. Um, I personally did most of the big chunk of the work uh, at home, really. Um, and mostly miss the uh, the office for social, uh, for the social uh, environment, really. I think that uh, neatly takes us into our next question from Pablo in, in the terms of like uh, everyone has their own comfortable space to do their work and be the most productive. Uh, so Pablo, do you want to tell us about your question? 
I that's funny because when we like when I started working at the at Massive, it was on site, like 100% on site. Uh, but then COVID happened and everybody was sent home. Uh, Massive was generous enough to uh, give me a laptop, so I I could actually work pretty much anywhere, and that allowed me to basically buy a property uh, outside of, of town really so I'm almost 40 minutes away 45 minutes away from uh, from the office and sometimes it's great because sometimes I'm just lazy in the morning and I don't want to commute and uh, I'm, I'm still not missing any uh, anything really because I just uh, log in and that's for me that's that's a great uh, opportunity um, and also sometimes I can just go for the proper Christmas. I can uh, I can uh, enjoy a couple of days uh, with my family while still uh, uh, being at work, kind of. So I'm working during the day, but uh, for lunch and for dinner, I'm with my family. Um, so that, that for me, it's, I don't see really any way to go back to where we used to work. Um, that's my main takeaway, really. Um, yeah. But in terms yeah. of your uh, question, uh, relevant to motivation so that's a tricky part i think because a lot of people join the project without uh knowing anybody really uh, so they join the project they haven't seen anybody like uh, my leads when he joined the project i have never met him uh, really so he joined after me uh and i only saw him once uh for a goodbye party and that was it uh so it was a bit tricky at first because uh in going back to the trust i think it also helps to 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 know the people uh outside of the screen uh as well um it all, always helps like i'm not saying it, it is a requirement but it, it it helps to the team building for for any other social um any social aspect really like it, it helps to know the people and to have casual talks even in the office or doing uh, around a coffee um in the office and we can build that relationship um, easier and i think it's uh, it helps in the motivation process uh, prospect a lot in my opinion because um we 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 understand each other's strengths and weaknesses and we don't have a, a screen that separates us from uh, having this interpretation we we, we can have a, a basically face-to-face -face, uh, conversation and we can easily uh go a little bit off of of track really uh, during the conversation while when we when we are all on teams it's it's uh, it's a lot more uh, i would say way less casual it's way more straight to the point and just about work uh, and sometimes the motivation can also help when we when we uh, go a little off track really. so in That's, terms of yeah. so in terms of uh, maintaining that um motivation within a team and remote environment um Lenny what are your thoughts on that uh, yeah it's throughout the, the development process it can definitely be similar to being on site there's always going to be struggles with motivation depending on how we're doing. Did we miss milestones? Are we on time? Are we on track? Is there anything that needs to be cut? Uh, so I think maintaining the motivation is like trying to, to keep your eye on the goal and trying to, of course, reinforce what has succeeded, right? Make sure that people share that success so that others can also share that feeling uh, of happiness that they have, right? So whenever people have made within art, if they have made new assets, if they have made new artwork, illustrations, concept art, shared on Slack. Uh, or wherever you communicate so that, you know, you get that high five that you miss when you're in the office. And even if you're in the office, I would still definitely say share it. Uh, it helps so much and it helps push each other as well to do better. Uh, similar to if you, as an artist, again, speaking from my perspective here, 
if you go into ArtStation and you see some amazing work that's been done in there, that tends to motivate people to try and do something similarly amazing, right? Um, so push each other to be better and make sure to, you know, give each other high fives and then give little hearts and slack whenever you see like some amazing artwork being done is one of the best way to help the team motivate itself, essentially. Like it shouldn't come so much outwards. But of course, if you're hitting a milestone, you did everything perfectly. If you have hit the sales target with your release or anything like that, then of course, then it's like team building, right? Let's go out, let's uh, enjoy dinner together or some other team building events to sort of reward that, you know, we have done amazing and we deserve to have this little relaxation period where we can just spend time with each other and, and, and enjoy the this, success. This success. I'm feeling a bit motivated after hearing that. <laughs> um, Mariana, what are your thoughts on that? So me, I think it's finding them due to, again, the nature of our work, our projects are like were to be in the like normal game industry, it would be like akin to a vertical slice almost. Um, they're very small, quick, everything. So they, they're not stuck on the same project for three, four years. So what we do is we find them projects that, that like, that you know are going to fit their personalities and strengths and team them up with people they get along with as much as possible. Make sure you're paying them as well as possible because I think the monetary side of things is always important. You want to work to live, not live to work, uh, which in our case is also very blurred because Minecraft started as a hobby for a lot of people. So it's really hard to separate that, oh, this is fun, this is a game I really love and it's a hobby from, but it's work. So I think that's where we're, we struggle the most. Um, encourage them to propose projects they would like to work on and try to find a team for them to work on said project so that they can release something they're especially proud of. Um, I know it's not something a lot of game companies do, but as I said, in our case, the nature of our work is all based on short bursts of productivity, usually no longer than six months, if we can help it from beginning to the end of the re release cycle. So six months, onto something else. Next project, what are we doing? And it starts all over again from the beginning, the whole uh brainstorming and the art and what do we want to do and we make lists and to do's and like until we can structure a whole design document and from there we go that's i think that's the important yeah that's really interesting about the sort of a, a project management perspective on motivation uh, and assigning things to the right people to make get the most out of them well, that's definitely something uh, i can think about uh, after <laughs> listening to all this um but oliver what are your thoughts on uh, motivation how to keep it up yeah, it's actually interesting because i share i think it's the wrong group we we, we have all of the same ideas i think <laughs> it's not really a, a discussion anymore uh yeah i agree with 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 all of these reasons so something i want to add is that i usually look at it from a um from a individual perspective also because not everybody is motivated by the same stuff. Not everybody is motivated by a deadline. Not everybody is motivated by uh, a milestone or uh, by other things. So, so I look at like, okay, what? I, there's always a question you need to ask, right? So, okay, what would you, what would you like to do? What are your motivations? Where do you want to stand in like a couple of years? Uh, do, do you want to become just a normal? Uh, do you want to grow the ranks just normally, going from junior lead, uh, medium, senior to principal lead? What are the motivations? Where where do you want to go? And I think that if you give people a little bit of, uh, if you yeah, if you give them a guidance and if you help them to achieve the goals that they want to achieve, they get a lot more motivated. And I noticed that a lot of people leave companies because they are not motivated anymore. Or they think like the company doesn't have the best interests, which sadly enough is sometimes the case uh, because of course there needs to be work done. Um, but I try to help 
individuals as much as possible getting to the goals that they want to achieve. And I noticed that that will help them uh, motivate themselves and also as a person, yeah, just just move them forward. And I think that's uh, a big motiva- uh, motivator next to all of the other stuff, of course, like uh, hitting your deadlines, giving them like an um, a voice in the project. So not only give them tasks, but let them help in the process. And it doesn't matter in what what sense or in what rank you are, right? I, I think that an intern should be able to do um, to have an, a voice exactly the same as a senior has or a lead has or even a director has. I think everybody should have that voice and should be able to, uh, yeah, move the project forward. So, yeah, I completely agree, but just a little add-on there. <laughs> well, I actually have something to add on to the back of that, Oliver. Um, in terms of ourselves, even uh, here at Evolution, um, despite not being a game company, um, part of our like weekly uh, meetings that we have, uh, we have at least, you know, our work targets that we have to strive for but we also have a, a couple um, personal targets so in terms of like even outside of work we can be thinking oh i really want to do this for myself alongside my work to maintain that motivation so i just thought i'd add that little add-on there on the back of your add-on um but um pablo um what do you find of those answers to your question no it's it's uh, it's um it's really interesting because uh, we, we we barely talk about the difference between remote and uh, on site and uh, and uh, and remote and the motivation uh, which i uh, i find it interesting because it, it, it proves that uh the, the situation the, the work environment is something of the past in a way it's like if you're motivated by a project the uh the situation you are working your working environment should not be uh, also part of the uh, of the equation. Kind of. you sh- if you're motivated, it's not because you have the newest uh, graphic card or you have the quiet place. It's um, it's the project. Um, it's really the project, and I would say even more, it's the people that you closely work with. Uh, and then it shouldn't matter really where where you are. Um, that helps out for like yeah. If you have a more stressful uh, um, a situation or there is a, there is a specific uh, event that uh, makes it a bit stressful for you to be, um, to be uh, exposed to a lot of people, a lot of noise, then maybe uh, it's best for you to, 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 to work remotely. But at the same time, if you feel a little bit too lonely, maybe, and you want to socialize more, then uh, you, I think it's great to have the option to, to go back on site. Really. Um, so, um, yeah, I think it was really interesting because uh, we, we, we barely told, like we barely mentioned the, uh, oh, let's talk about the motivation only from the uh, remote setup and uh, only from the uh, uh, on site. Uh, so I, I think we are all aligned. That's my point. <laughs> Definitely. I think uh, the general consensus there is that as long as you're motivated motivate towards the projects and the shared goal, it does, location doesn't matter. You can all be like, tied together um, with the same goal. Uh, so I guess we should move on to the next question then. Uh, Lenny. Uh, yes. So uh, my question is, what method do you use to ensure proper knowledge sharing and communication in a hybrid work environment? I guess we'll uh, go to Oliver on this one. Yeah. So I think uh, there there are two distinctions here. So you have uh, knowledge sharing and knowledge retainment. Uh, Knowledge sharing uh, is is like finding a cool article on LinkedIn or somewhere and sharing it with people, right? So that's usually what I notice is that's usually a uh, either a Slack post, Discord post, or, or whatever system you're using. You post that information, and that's basically uh, fades away 
in the abyss of text and, and, and shared things. And they have knowledge retainment. And knowledge retainment is something that uh, takes time. You you research something, you you make a tool or you make an, uh, yeah, you use a specific technique in an art piece and you want to retain that specific knowledge. And that's usually where you use Confluence, uh, Coda, uh, Notion or any other tool that, that you want to store and you make sure that if that person leaves the company, that knowledge is still accessible to other individuals that come into the company or want to have that uh, or want to use anything that is related to the task. Um, so I think there is a distinction there. So and and in in a hybrid remote environment, that in my opinion, that doesn't really change. Uh, if you're local, you 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 go to somebody say, hey, look at something cool I've uh, I've just looked at. Come to my desk, and then they they sit there and they yeah, look at this this cool thing that I just found. And in um, in a hybrid or in a remote environment, I just get a link and let's say like, hey, look at this cool thing that I just found and I click the link and I get some meme or something. Now I get some cool thing that somebody figured out. Then we can have a conversation about it and stuff like that. So I think that there is a distinction uh, distinction there. And that's that's how I usually see it being shared within within the companies I uh, I work at. And it doesn't really matter if it's separate or remote. So uh, yeah, I don't know if everybody shares it, but that's how, how I see it happening. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Pablo, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I think it depends on what we are trying to communicate. Like we always am for like interested in workshops, for example, like something that somebody has a specific uh, skill and knowledge that they want to share. Um, I always find it a, little, a bit easier on site because we we have a I would say a more uh, direct uh, interaction between uh, between all the people in the group. But at the same time, we always do it uh, hybrid, literally. So people are within one room, but some people are still with them, but through uh, Teams. Uh, and that helps because we still have a kind of a room. We can we still have we're still looking at each other. We're still uh, we're still there. Really, uh, I just find it personally, especially if you were to be the uh, I would say the person presenting, to have a real audience, it uh, it's a bit easier for them uh, sometimes uh, than just to present something with people through screens. Um, but that's that's a specific case, really. That's just for, uh, I would say, a workshop or something that is that we're trying to communicate um, uh, for, 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 for really to, to share the skills or to share the, uh, the knowledge uh, in this very specific matter. But uh, if, if it was just to communicate, uh, I would say, like general information of the company or the project or, or milestones, uh, updates, uh, then I don't think it's... Um, it needs that a very social um, aspect. I think it's uh, we don't need a uh, I would say live audience. <laughs> um, I think it's uh, it doesn't really matter. It's also for the person presenting because they don't they're not necessarily looking at a two way conversation. They are mostly uh, trying to uh, share a specific information, and that's pretty much it. Um, yeah, I think they're they they goods in both uh, both uh, methods really. So, uh, Mariana, how would you uh, ensure proper knowledge sharing then? So, what we do is, uh, well, it's twofold, right? So, first, we have different chat channels for each discipline because we have obviously like programmers, we have the artists, we have. So, each discipline has their own like subgroup channel, like, and from the st like from the start before they even begin to work with us. That they're all told that we want them to talk to each other and to learn from each other because I think it's really, really important that that's like the basis. Uh, you have to be willing to take time to share your knowledge and if someone has a question, to answer said questions. 
So we have some forums where they may post new discoveries and methods to approach certain issues. And we have a file sharing section where they can upload links to tools either they found online or internal tools they might have developed themselves to, that help them with their work and explanations on how to use them. So we have like this like C file or storage where we have all of these mini tools that we might use to make jobs faster. It can be something as silly as uh, renaming a bunch of files all at the same time or any kind of tool that you find that you think will be helpful, you post it in there. Um, and so I think it's that. It's like having the chat channels where they can ask each other and encourage each other um, and uh, see if they've encountered similar problems. And so that plus the file sharing and the forms so that it stays. It's not just lost in like, uh, I don't, I think it was all said in like the, the abyss of chat because that's always a problem Then you want to pin everything and then you have a million pins. No. So uh, if, if they don't do it, I go through sometimes and see, oh, this is interesting. And I make a forum post myself of that whole chat that they had. Um, and that's how we preserve it for the future. That's why forums are still important, even though they're like the old schoolest of old school methods to keep knowledge. Um, it's yeah, that's how we go about yeah, it. So I guess sometimes the uh, the old method's the best method. Um, but Lenny, what are your thoughts on those answers? Yeah, it sounds really good. And it's a bit of a mix as well, um, because like Oliver, like you mentioned, is like the the one where we use Confluence, where we document a lot in there as well. Uh, of course, the the Slack channels are the ones that are also very much used for sharing knowledge that you've just found online. And then Pablo, I think, uh, was a bit closer to what I originally meant with it as well, which is more of these sort of workshops. Like, have you learned something new while you're doing your job or do you have knowledge that others need? Um, one of the problems I think <laughs> probably everyone can, can nod to is that uh, confluence over years get very stuffed full of knowledge and not often do does it get updated. So more often than not, when you, read the, when you read something on confluence, you then have to hunt down the person who wrote it who might not be there, or then you have to find someone else who has that knowledge, which, yeah, then you just have to look around through people until you find someone who knows. <clears throat> so we really encourage uh, knowledge sharing through when we have our team syncs as well. So we have on Myro, where we ask people, it's like, oh, you, you tried this new method. How did that work for you? How did the, what, what did you exactly do? And then people can ask questions while that's happening. And then we encourage, if it's something that everyone seems to be very interested in, we encourage them to then write the documentation. Um, and then we have a look at it later. Once that's finalized, it gets added to Confluence. Once everyone has had a chance to, had an opportunity to ask their questions, so that that can be added to the documentation because that's also very important like if you haven't written the documentation properly you're just going to get probably almost more questions than if you had not written it at all so it's very important to have those questions asked early on um, but yeah i cannot like yeah, so pretty much everything that's been said especially the thing about slack you post something in there and there's 10 minutes later it's just gone uh, so yes i definitely agree with that awesome so i i really enjoyed listening to that because I, I can definitely attest to the uh things getting lost in a chat form especially when there's pins on everything <laughs> there's just too many um anyone got any final thoughts on that before we go to our last question no i, I find it uh really interesting that uh, the uh, uh, Pablo and Lenny from the they, they are from the big companies like they have 200 plus people working at the companies they have a different way of sharing knowledge of course than uh, Mariana and me as we have like less people so we we are maybe a little bit uh, the the information is shared maybe a little bit easier than with the bigger companies once you because yeah the, just the sheer amount of people that you have to share it to is like of course crazy so it's uh, and if your company is is um is there for a longer time so it's already existed for like i, I don't know the 10 maybe maybe 15 years of course <laughs> the, i can i can attest that uh, uh either confluence or whatever you use is gonna look the same as all all those communication channels 
<laughs> where it just gets lost in time. So yeah, it's really interesting, interesting to listen to. Yeah. Yeah, and it's really good that you point that out as well, because yes, uh, both with uh, Massive, which is a Ubisoft studio, which also has knowledge sharing between the different studios, and similar with Paradox, has several studios under the umbrella. It it becomes you know, too much uh, to to depend on one person to keep things up to date and, and share the knowledge to all the different other people, right? So I have to try and find ways of being efficient. I think the the, the less people, the easier it is to communicate uh, whatever you're, you're trying to communicate with. Um, there's always this... I assume that somebody knows. There's always this, this oh, I, this person was part of the conversation. That person was part of the meeting. Of course they know. And there's always uh, this kind of blurry line. Like, how much do they actually really know? And how much do, do they actually understand? And uh, rather than like a few people where you can actually be sure and you don't have to assume anything, it's it's, it's a lot easier for sure. Yeah. Uh, Mariana, it looks like you wanted to add a point in there. I just... As we were talking, also like something came and in, popped into my head, and is that like the open source community, at least um, again, as it pertains to our studio, like there's a big chunk of our community where we share among each other and we ask because there's like currently there's like 300 teams working on content, um, and let's say of the bigger teams, let's say there's like 20 of them, um, but we sometimes like sometimes there's that you know like that um, they are your direct competition but sometimes within this community sharing gets you further than keeping it a secret right so there's also sharing between larger teams or hey how did you solve this i saw you did this and some teams will be like no i'm not telling you and some teams will be like oh yeah we did it like this 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 and then so you encourage that sort of team building within the people you're competing against and it just makes the community more rich and all of that information gets like published like also to the larger community as well. So I think that open source, at least on our end of things, is a very, very big and very important part of uh, producing uh, content and keeping knowledge and not letting it just get lost. Yeah, no, that sounds super interesting. There's also something that's almost on the the opposite side of the spectrum, which is I think it was like my uh, the the game director who once mentioned it to me as well. It's like the curse of knowledge is that you assume people know what you know, so you don't share it. That I find is very difficult to actually get around to to sort of let people know that what they know is not actually common knowledge for the rest of the people in the studio. Also because newer people join and to try and, and help people understand what it is that they should try to to share as much as possible. Um, that one's always been a bit difficult uh, for me to to crack the code on. It's it's really interesting that you mentioned that because sometimes people are not humble enough to, to you know, just to clearly state that they don't, they're afraid to, to, to say that they don't know. Like some people just straight up, they don't know, but when they are surrounded by everybody that does know, and maybe they're like, mm, maybe I will uh, be looking very silly if I ask that question. So, um, um, especially in a much wider audience, obviously, like if it's, if it's like you mentioned, like a small community that everybody helps each other, it's a lot easier just to, just to tag one person like, Hey, by the way, uh, how did you? do this um so there's yeah not knowing is also a, a sometimes a powerful tool because uh it allows people to to communicate in information differently uh sometimes it's it's not clear uh and nobody's there to to uh to mention that maybe nobody is like Okay, I assume you meant that, but I'm not going to uh, to to ask uh, for sure. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I'll, I'll, um, especially with your point there, Pavel, about um, you know it being kind of like a a natural human trait that we all don't want to seem silly uh, and shy away from asking the questions, uh, which I think actually is a nice um, segue segue into uh, Oliver's question. 
about personalities. Yeah. So, so my question, uh, I think it's uh, well, may, maybe simple. I, I, I don't know. Uh, I had a hard time coming up with it, <laughs> with it at least. Um, but it is, uh, how would you include different personalities into the creative process, given a hybrid remote? Uh, work environment. So, so what I notice a lot is that, uh, for instance, people that are a little bit more introverted, they have uh, a very hard time being in a creative session with 10 other people and then being able to expose their creativity uh, in that sense. So uh, yeah, I was just really curious how uh, you guys solve that. <laughs> uh, does anyone want to go first on that one? Uh, sure, I can start. <laughs> um, yeah, I think this one is very difficult, right? Because especially when you just have with people who are more introverted than extroverted, to try and get more communication flowing and get it in, in an easy manner. Um, I think one of the things here that becomes very important is, is more of these sort of um, the team meetings. Like they become very vital when you have different personalities to make sure that uh, the people are encouraged to ask questions, that they're encouraged to show what they have been doing, uh, to uh, share their ideas, uh, their worries as well with the project. That's also super important. Like, do they have any concerns? I think one of the best ways is to create the sort of safe environments where they are able to express themselves in the way that they feel most comfortable doing. Um, so I think that's the most important thing to like. Even for myself, sometimes I will be like the one to ask this, the, the questions, like even if they, I feel like sometimes maybe I think most people know it, but just in case they don't, I will ask as well. Uh, so then someone else can answer. And, and if there's some people in the meeting who maybe didn't feel comfortable asking, uh, then I, they will now have to answer. So if I'm, I, if I don't feel confident that everyone will know, then I will try to do that and then sort of like lead, lead by example and show them that this is okay to ask. These are the type of questions you should be asking. Um, and the same when it comes to sharing as well. Like I said earlier, it has to do with motivation as well. It's like I encourage everyone to share every success they have and also, of course, every problem alongside that. And especially when it comes to the project as well. It's like to make sure to be, to help them out. Like if they're, if they are having issues with the deadlines and things like that, to, to reach out to them and say like, Hey, how's it going? Do you have any issues? Is there anything I should be aware of? Do you need any help? Um, things like that. Right. So I think that's the best way to make sure that everyone has the same safe space. Everyone knows what they're able to say, um, and feel comfortable doing. I think that's the best way I've at least found to incorporate different personalities into the team. No, I really like that point about uh, leading by example, by asking questions and um, trying to create a, a level playing field across every everyone. Uh, I do really like that. Um, Pablo? Um, it's it's a bit, it, it's interesting because sometimes um, like intro, it's, it's sometimes a bit difficult to understand what an introvert really wants to ask as well or want to share. Uh, and you don't want to be, uh, I tend to be the pushy type where I, I talk a little bit too much sometimes and uh, sometimes if they don't respond like they're like oh it's I don't I'm not I don't feel in, uh, comfortable to 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 share sometimes and it's um I'm more of the opposite type where I like to 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 share I like to talk and uh, and um it's 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 very um I think the the best tool that I have used is humor uh make don't be afraid of making uh, make fun of yourself. Uh, don't don't be afraid of be the one uh, looking silly and asking the stupid questions. Um, and just um, I think it's it's a it's a like humor. Sometimes it's a powerful tool to um, basically find the middle ground between the personalities. Uh, and sometimes it's not going to be funny at all. And sometimes you'll be the only one uh, um, trying to uh, trying to be the comedian. And and that's fine. You know? uh, I think that's fine. It's um, we. There's never going to be a um, a way of communicating that fits everybody anyway, uh, and I think that's part of the beauty of a of a teamwork. Uh, we need those we we 
we shouldn't um, we, we we need to use that as a, as a force in terms of like who how can we solve uh, if we have a problem and we have different personalities those personalities will always find a different solution and that I think it's it's uh, it's the, the the interesting part of different personalities I um, it's it's um, it's a it's a very wide topic really, but um, um, I think it's it's the, the beauty of the, of the teamwork really. It's uh, it's not to be as an individualist, but uh, to act as a team and find the weaknesses and the strength within the team, and sometimes to be the icebreaker, uh, with the uh, the one that uh, that is the the silly person uh, to engage uh, and to maybe that that will actually echo some of those people that feel first uncomfortable and. They see somebody that looks even sillier, then maybe they will, they will feel like, oh, okay, maybe I can, uh, I can actually complain myself. Uh, I think it's, uh, yeah, I think that's uh, how I solve it. Anyway. Yeah, I think that's definitely a good point. I think it makes me think about uh, laughter is the best medicine to, you know, team building if you're having any trouble, trouble with it. Uh, so, Mariana, what's uh, your thoughts on the question? <laughs> Uh, okay, so I think it's important to be mindful of everyone's strengths and weaknesses, as other people have already touched on, and group them according to project scope and type, uh, because it's your responsibility as a manager to get to know everyone on the team uh, and try to keep track of how they're doing personally, emotionally, if they have anything going on that might impact others, and go from there. Like One-on-one -on -one meetings, I think, are important to make people feel seen and heard, and that empathy goes a very long way because some people are gonna have good days and bad days. And like to include different personalities, I think that team building as we call it, I guess, um, is okay. We have voice chats where they can keep each other company while they're working if they want to. We have a memes channel where they can share funny things they found, comment on each other's posts. We have a channel where they can share personal projects or cool things that they found that they think the team will enjoy. And uh, playing games together is a big part of it. Uh, and just general chit chat. However, like none of it is forced. I think that's very important because you will have people that are like more shy and um, they don't have to participate if they don't wish to. Um, I don't really believe in forced team building. And honestly, it's worked quite well for us for the past six years. I think total we've had maybe two small curf like disagreements within the team and they're resolved really quickly. In, in six years, I think that's a really good track record for us at least considering we have like 50 people working with us. So um, yeah, just don't force people that maybe don't mesh to work together if you can avoid it. Um, yeah, I think that's it. Yeah, uh, Oliver, uh, what are your thoughts on those, uh, those answers? Yeah, I, li I like them a lot. Like, like I said, this is, this is the wrong group. <laughs> we agree with almost almost everything. So, No, I, I, I completely agree. I think that uh, you should look at, again, at the individual. That's how I like to do it and, and see what they need at that moment in time. Laughter is definitely a good solution, uh, which which I use myself a lot. Uh, uh, so, yeah, I agree with all, uh, all of the points. That's exactly how I would... Uh, do it myself. Wow. <laughs> Definitely, it's been uh, some really good answers we've had uh, during the podcast. I think a couple of things that have stood out to me is, especially with um, Mariana, you, I think you've got the most experience in terms of uh, remote working over six years. Um, but then also Lenny with yourself, and, uh, working with uh, multiple studios below you uh, and managing all of that, again with um, Pablo as well. Uh, working with Massive, uh, some brilliant points there. Uh, I just wondered, is there any points that stood out to them personally? Like how do you mean anything specific doing this chat that we would like to expand yeah. on? Or? Yeah, anything that like, um, really, like stood out to you that you think, oh, that was a really good point. 
uh, all that sort of really good insight into that topic. Uh, anything at all for anyone? I mean, there was plenty, at least for me, I felt like it was very <laughs> valuable here. It's like, even though we agreed to a big extent, there's still like things that are slightly different from what I, from how I've used things in the past and I think that I can incorporate in the future. It's also interesting to hear the different perspective from, like you mentioned as well, Oliver, like uh, smaller studios, uh, like what kind of problems you face during development and how you incorporate hybrid. And also, especially from, from Mariana, it's like how you said you've been working only remotely for six years. So it's like, there's a lot of, <laughs> of experience to draw from there. Uh, so I think there's uh, a lot of valuable things here. I think well, one of the most interesting things is that the we, we see a shift, of, at least with with, with us four, we, we see a shift in the game industry where in the past it was really um, using overtime as a means to get a project done and stuff like that. And now I noticed that the game industry is uh, maturing slowly and gradually into a more, um, uh, yeah, you could almost call it a, a safe, a little bit more of a safe work environment where um, burnout's getting less it's, it's still happening of course in in some studios but it's getting less and less and the the studios are looking more into the to the people and what they need and how how to move forward also to retain their talent instead of burning them out and putting them on the 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 another pile of people that that leave and 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 this i i watched this this youtuber probably uh you you people know him also it's called young yeah and I think at some point he said, like, um, we call uh, people who have been in the game industry for a long time, we call them veterans. We don't call them experts. We call them veterans because they have been through that field. They have fought for it, which is actually a bad word to use. You should call them experts. They have been there for years and they know the ropes. They know what to do. So it's actually an interesting uh, change in the in the industry, I think. And that we share that, that here is, uh, gives me hope. <laughs> Definitely. Oh, Mariana. Uh, yeah, I think that the game industry has had some bad rep that was probably deserved. Um, but I think that the data doesn't lie. And I think the pandemic helped push that shift into keeping people's mental state uh, healthy because you're going to run out of people eventually, right? And we have all these people that are so talented that if it weren't for burnout and they're just quitting, um, I feel like game communities are realizing that being benevolent, let's call it that, is a better tactic in the long run because the data doesn't lie. And if people are happy and they are, they don't feel the, that insane pressure and the crunch and all of that, that they will outproduce what they would be producing under like harsher circumstances. And I think that the pandemic um, forced that reckoning upon the gaming industry. And I am seeing or sensing, hopefully, as, as Oliver said, I have hope that it, it's it's getting better and that it will be better and better as time goes by. Uh, Lenny? Yeah, no, I think it's super interesting. Though. It's a, I guess it's a bit of shift in subject as well. Uh, this thing when we've gone into more re retention here. Uh, because yes, I, I definitely agree that it has been more healthy uh, going over to, to the hybrid or complete working from home that some companies have been doing. I think especially for some of the older companies, the loss or the feeling of loss of control is the last bastion that's sort of fighting against aspects of it. Uh, and it's also, I think, some of the things that we see now, which is also had to do with the, the control, is the some of the things that are can interfere with working from home and that setup is the security hoops you have to go through. Um, which is how uh, like the all the VPN things that and, and you have to perhaps remote into your computer, things like that, that will slow down your work. Also, depending on how heavy your work is, like if you're working with some of the, the graphics programs or the C and things like that, it can be almost impossible. Um, so, I mean, those are some of the, the 
the issues that are sort of facing the, the remote environment now that we have to try and figure out how to work around as well. Yeah, I definitely agree as well with the, the retention aspect that it has been improved a lot because people are able to live their life more. Like the work-life balance has now gone a bit more over to the life side of things. Definitely. I think that was a really good point as well. Um, I spoke from Oliver about, uh, you know, the gaming industry has matured. Um, definitely, I think it makes me think of it as like a, a well-oiled machine. So yeah, being uh, ready to take on anything really, uh, and I've definitely seen um, it's, as your point, Marianne, about uh, more of a mental health concern uh, with yourself as well, Lenny. Because um, I've seen, I think, uh, Mindark in uh, Gothenburg have brought out a uh, no crunch time policy uh, to make sure everyone is working, you know, in a mentally safe environment, so to speak. Uh, so that's definitely something, a, a sign of hope for the future, as Oliver said. Um, has anyone got any final uh, comments they want to make? No. No, I think ending it on hope is a good one. <laughs> Absolutely. <Yeah. laughs> I think what the, the, the most interesting for me, what I see is that we all come from a different background. We are still part of the same industry, but we are we have different uh, duties, really. Um, and we still have a common goal, really. And that, I think, it's uh, that also gives me hope because it doesn't come from only the AAA industry. It also comes from a much more uh, smaller studio. Or, and I think we are all, at the end of the day, part of the same industry. And we are... We're fighting for the same uh, future, hopefully. Definitely. I think uh, that's a good point to leave it there. Like gaming is a uniting force uh, for us all, definitely. <laughs> and uh, with that, I guess we'll leave it there. Uh, this has been the Evolution Exchange podcast. And I want to take this time to thank Oliver, Mariana, Lenny and Pablo for your time today and your thoughts and insights onto the topic. And for everyone at home listening, thank you. If you want to get involved with one of our next podcasts coming up, Reach out to me on LinkedIn or by email at adam.miller-betridge at evolution-nordics.com. See you next time.